welcome to The Talk, the podcast that provides you with what you need to succeed in the real estate world. Brought to you by the Collin County Association of Realtors. Get ready to tackle top real estate topics in bite-sized amounts with CCAR President Ron Leach and Jonna Fernandez, CCAR Chief Operating Officer. Hi, Ron. Hi, Jonna. Welcome to The Top. I'm happy to be here. It's especially nice to welcome another in-person guest. That's right. And today we're joined by Charles Kramer of Hunter & Kramer PC, which is a well-known law firm that provides counsel to title companies throughout the DFW Metroplex. Charles also serves as counsel to the Collin County Association of Realtors, and he knows a lot of information, and I'm excited to share today's conversation with our listeners. Me too. And today we are discussing the seller's disclosure. I think this topic isn't discussed enough. It is part of every transaction and can have big implications if not executed correctly. Let's start from the top. There are two seller disclosures form in Texas. One is created by Texas Realtors and the other was created by TREC. So which form should agents have a seller complete? Well, I'm going to actually refine the question a little bit. There's actually numerous forms of seller disclosure. There's one I think uh, there's some big brokers here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area that have their own form of seller disclosure. There's one by Trek, which it's not really created by Trek. It's promulgated and issued by them. It's created by the state of Texas. It's created by the legislature. There's one by the Texas Realtors. There may be others. Big brokers in Houston may have their own forms. Um, The reason that there are different variations of the form is that the law, the statute that creates the requirement for a seller to deliver a seller's disclosure notice form simply says that a seller must deliver a seller's disclosure notice that says at least these 50 things. And so the state form, which is promulgated by TREC, is is the minimal form. It's the minimum that is required by the statute. It's about two pages, maybe three now. And brokers, uh, in consultation with their lawyers, uh, believe that more disclosure is better. So they create forms that disclose more or ask questions that require more disclosure than what the state requires. So you'll see, and Texas Realtors believes the same thing. So you see these much beefier, larger disclosure forms uh, that can run six pages, seven pages, eight pages. They, They have more questions, they elicit more responses, and they at least according to the, the philosophy of those people who, who are in favor of those forms, they create more disclosure. They keep sellers safer. Uh, I'm not going to say one is better than the other. Uh, there are lawyers and there are, are uh, experts in real estate that believe the less you say, the safer you are. And there are people that say the more you say, the safer you are. So it's just a matter of your personal belief on risk. But I will tell you the prevailing view among experts and, and um, leaders in this industry is towards more disclosure. So the, so the Texas Realtors form is in wide common use, and I don't see the state minimal form or the TREC form used very much at all. Okay, well that, that makes a lot of sense. So another question for you then. So are all residential real estate transactions required to use a seller's disclosure? No, there is. Um, there are, I think, 11 exceptions or exemptions to the seller's disclosure notice requirement, the delivery of a seller's disclosure notice. I don't have them all memorized, but the most popular ones are, for example, sales of new homes, sales of of improved property that has never been previously occupied by anybody. So they don't have to deliver those sellers, which are builders. Typically, they don't have to deliver a seller's disclosure notice. Sales of land 
unimproved property don't require that, obviously, because much of the questions on a seller's disclosure notice relate to the house or the improvements. And then there's this odd one that says, sales of improved property where the improvements don't constitute more than 5% of the value of the of the real estate. So if you're selling something with a little shed on it, or maybe you're selling something where the land is 95% of the value and the house is a teardown, then you might be exempt from that. Now, just because you're exempt from delivering a disclosure, you don't have to. It doesn't hurt. You could if you wanted to give one. It helps marketability. Uh, it helps keep you safe. So even if you're selling something that doesn't require disclosure, it's a, it's a very good idea to do one anyway. What about Charles? Uh when you have a landlord uh, that has bought the home for investment, um, decides to turn around, and we're seeing that a lot, a lot, a lot right now in well, the marketplace where uh, an investor and or a landlord who's never lived in the house, are they required to? Yes, they are. That's a good question. We get that a lot where they say, I don't know anything about the house. I've never lived in it. Well, never lived in it is not, a, is not an exemption. So you have to give a disclosure. Now, it is perfectly okay if it is truthful to say, I don't know, you know, on the on the answers to the questions, unknown, unknown. Now, I would think a landlord has some basic knowledge of the systems of their house. Does it have central air? I don't know is a strange answer for a landlord there. So they're going to know some things. But uh, no, you cannot, you're not excused or exempt from giving a seller's disclosure notice simply because you're a landlord and you don't live there or you've never lived there. If you bought it as a pure investment a week ago and you flip it, you're going to have to give one of these disclosures. Exactly. Uh, I've had clients who are reluctant to fill out the disclosure for various reasons, sometimes because it's a rental or inherited property and and they haven't been in the home for a while, or other terms because they are intimidated by the form. What would you advise agents to handle these situations? Well, uh, there's really no uh, excuse or um, there's no... There's no middle ground here for a broker. A broker uh, and an agent under a broker have to do this to, to be safe and to keep from being sued. So um, you're a salesperson. You, your job is to sell. So you're going to have to sell your seller on filling out this form. And some of the things you can tell them is, is what I just said. Look, if you don't know the answer to a question, it's perfectly okay to write unknown. You can do that. So if the whole thing is you know is seemingly meaningless, let's go through the exercise anyway. Let's fill it out. But ultimately, and you can, agents can play good cop, bad cop. Say, look, my broker requires this. You know, I have no choice in the matter. Or the state of Texas, this is required. If you don't give this, then one, um, you know, there's great liability for lawsuits. We don't want you to get sued, Mr. Seller. And two, uh, your buyer can get out of the contract. That's one of the basics of the law, that if you don't give a seller's disclosure, then they can terminate and, and walk away from the deal. So what's the point? You know, you're just going to have to sell this seller's disclosure to your, your client. And I think it's important to note that agents cannot complete the seller's disclosure for their clients, right? They, they shouldn't. This should be an act of the seller. Uh, you need to give them the form. And it's, it's homework. It should be done, in my opinion, during the listing process. And, and a lot of agents, and, you know, everyone's so eager to get the house on the market, and we have great demand, and you kind of, well, we'll deal with that later. This is something that you should get done early. And some agents may have to ride or nag professionally and, and promptly their sellers to do. Say, let's get that done. I don't want this loophole to exist for any buyers of yours there. Right. And that, that kind of gets into my next question. So is there a deadline that that disclosure like absolutely has to be provided by? The, the law says that 
if a seller does not deliver that to a buyer before they sign a contract, that a buyer has a certain limited window after they get it, you know, post-effective date to get out of the contract. I believe under the law, it's seven days. And the contract kind of mirrors the law. If you look at the contract and you check the box for what I call late delivery of seller's disclosure notice, it says a buyer can terminate within seven days of receipt of the seller's disclosure. So really, if you want to close the loophole and and remove a seven-day option period, an extra seven-day option period for a buyer, then the deadline is really prior to signing the contract. You really need to get that over to a buyer before they sign. What I see in most of the contracts that uh, that I write up, we typically give them two or three days uh, to provide the seller's disclosure. But uh, as a listing agent, uh, I always encourage that being part of the listing packet, uh, that it really actually won't be marketed until that seller's disclosure uh, is in fact in hand. Is, along with a survey uh, as well, an affidavit. Yeah, that's best practices. Yeah. It's the best way to do it. Yeah. Good. So, Charles, what happens um, if a seller, you know, they've already completed the disclosure, submitted it, and then they learn new information about their property? Are they obligated to let the buyers know at that point? I'm going to say yes. Now, I notice I, the way you phrased the question, you didn't ask what I expected you to ask, which is, are they obligated to fill out a new seller's disclosure notice and deliver it? Because um, as we dive deeper into this topic, and I think your very last questions relate to what else do you want people to know, might as well bring that up now. Delivery of a seller's disclosure notice form is just one of the duties of disclosure of a seller. It's required by a very particular statute in the Texas Property Code. But there's other law, namely common law and uh, a statute called the Deceptive Trade Practices Act, which says and suggests that a seller, in addition to delivering this form of notice, must also tell a buyer everything bad about their property, everything that constitutes a defect of the property that they have knowledge of. So this general disclosure requirement, most of the time the seller's disclosure notice form takes care of that. But if you deliver a seller's disclosure notice and then you come across bad facts, if you discover new defects about your property, then the answer is yes, you have to disclose that to a buyer. Does that create a duty to deliver a new notice? That's unknown. Lawyers are in disagreement about that. Does that create a new seven-day right to terminate? Lawyers are in disagreement about it. But I will tell you that sellers uh, should disclose any new defects that they discover about their property. And uh, a caveat on that is, uh, as a buyer's agent, or really maybe as, as a selling agent, I should say that you know, once an inspection has occurred, um, we as listing agents don't want to see that inspection report when they, when a buyer's agent asks for repairs. We'd like to see maybe the page of the inspection report that it relates to so we make sure that we're all on the same page. However, you know, once that entire inspection report gets sent out and it gets sent to the sellers and, and we review it, then, then we're going up another road there. Well, let's talk a little bit about that because I've, I've, I've spoken to agents and brokers about, we tell them not to send it, we don't look at it, we don't open it. Well, let's say it's two years down the road and um, someone is claiming that you didn't, this property has a defect that you didn't disclose. And it was contained in a report that was delivered to you, the seller, or delivered to your broker. Sitting on the stand in court saying, I never opened that email, I never looked at that report 
is a pretty weak defense. And so I, I want to tell folks out there, it is my professional opinion that the uh, ostrich strategy of bury your head in the sand and don't look at it is naive and doesn't work. You can try it, uh, but you are essentially cursed with that information. If, if a buyer does an inspection and sends it to you, whether your seller reads it or not, whether you read it or not, whether you open it, whether you forward it, whether you delete it, you're deemed, and that's a special word in law, to have that information. So you might as well face it and deal with it there. I don't think saying I never looked at it is going to fly. It's not going to get you very far in the eyes of your trial lawyer that's having to defend you years later. So it doesn't doesn't work in my opinion. Good information. Okay. So then, you know, if there is that bad inspection and is provided to the sellers, then and the and the buyers backed out when the house goes back, you know, on the market, do they have to redo that disclosure? So is that getting at the point that you're making that now they know this information, they have to redo the disclosure? They should. Now, if they, a lot of times you hear the, this is a bad inspection. This stuff just isn't true. The seller denies it. Well, you can't bury that report and simply choose which facts you're going to present in the next disclosure. But what you can do is if you have one a uh, bad inspection report that you feel is bogus or in, inaccurate or the methodology is bad or something like that, you can hire at your own expense another inspector or six inspectors. Let's say that you present to the next buyer the bad inspection report and 10 good ones that say, this guy's all wrong. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's, he's, his methodology was bad. He was wrong about this. He didn't realize this then you basically counterbalance the bad facts with more good facts. So you can supplement and you can, you can investigate further, but you can't bury that stuff. So um, it, it leads to the, the question of, am I required by law? There, this is often a, a big source of misunderstanding. There are many brokers and many people that feel that a seller is required by some sort of law to deliver old inspection reports. And there's no law that says you have to do that. The law simply says you have to disclose what you know. Delivering old inspection reports is the easiest way to do that. It is the most simple risk reduction device for a broker and a seller. So it's common practice, but there's no law. If you deliver the information, if you deliver the bad information to a buyer in writing, then you don't have to deliver the reports, but we don't recommend that. And in fact, there are even some seller's disclosure forms that say, you know, attached here to or the past X number of years. So if if you fill out a form that says, I'm disclosing these reports to you, then you got to disclose them. So. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so has um, there ever been a time where a buyer has not wanted to sign the disclosure? Is their signature on the seller's disclosure a required part of the transaction? No, it is not. And buyers frequently, I don't know how often, maybe... Uh, it's not uncommon for a buyer who hasn't, uh, especially if the disclosure form is presented pre-contract, uh, who, a buyer who hasn't committed to buy a home is, doesn't want to sign anything. It's just a natural inclination. The seller's disclosure form is not an obligation. It doesn't require the buyer to do anything. It doesn't obligate the buyer to do anything. The purpose of a signature by the buyer is to prove that the buyer got the notice. But the law doesn't require that the buyer sign it. It's just a, it's just a tool. And in the end, if a buyer refuses to sign a seller's disclosure, the seller has still met the requirements of the law by delivering it, and the seller or their broker should note on their own version of the form, refuse to sign, you put it on their date and time, and you put it in your file. 
But you, you know, if it came down to it and a buyer said, I never got it, you should have evidence in your file that yes, you did. You just refused to sign it. I emailed it. Here's my email on this date, or I came to your house and I took notes. And that's why, you know, a good practice for brokers is to take notes after a meeting or after a, you know, discussion. And because five years later, it's hard to remember what you did or what you said. That's good information. Well, Charles, it was wonderful talking to you this morning. Um, before we let you go, I know you dove in a little bit earlier on some stuff that you might have said at the end, but is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know about seller's disclosures? Yes. yes. Um, we've been talking primarily about seller's disclosure notice form, which is required by a statute. But seller's disclosure generally, uh, the best way to remember for folks is that a seller should disclose anything that they know about a property that they're selling. That a, that a buyer would want to know. You know, if you're, if you're calling a lawyer or you're asking yourself, should I disclose something? The mere fact that you're asking yourself that question suggests that maybe you should. And if, you ha- if you're asking that, that question, if you have any doubt, when in doubt, disclose. So do it. And it, so if the disclosure form that you're using doesn't address an issue, if there's something else wrong that a buyer, an ordinary buyer would want to know, put it in writing, put it as part of that disclosure, send it on. One of the things that I've experienced recently, because we have so many new uh, real estate agents getting into the business, um, they're not fully aware of the consequences of filling out that seller's disclosure correctly. And uh, as on the other side of the table where I see this, um, it becomes, you know, I have to kind of sit it back and say, hey, can you, you know, put some other, because they don't even put box the unknown. You know, it's just, uh, so I think, you know, a training uh, would be helpful, you know, down the road uh, for CCA or maybe to hold it just on the seller's disclosure. So, I think I think every broker and agent who hands this a form of seller's disclosure to their seller should say the following: If there's anything else wrong with the property that is not in this form, you need to put it down in writing, and they need to, you know, and you need to supplement that. One, one of the things that I've also just recently experienced, and and um, you know. We just come out with addendums for PIDs and PUDs and MUDs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would love to see that on the seller's disclosure before the addendum uh, comes about, uh, because there's many times where maybe the the uh, you know selling agent may not ask that seller you know are you located in a PID, and that was a situation that I found myself in just recently. If it had been on the seller's disclosure, I could have told my buyer about mm-hmm. it. Or or agreement. If it's in the listing agreement, that will also give you valuable information and you know you have to deal with a particular form. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Well, well, this was some really great information. And uh, again, Charles, thank you so much for talking to us this, this morning. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. For those listening, thanks for hanging out with us. And don't forget to subscribe to Welcome to the Top wherever you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. If you have a question or topic you want us to discuss, we want to hear it. Email us at ask at welcometothetop.com and listen to hear it covered. We can't wait to hear from you. Thanks for listening and be sure to ask me why I vote, act, invest. Special thanks to our host, Jonna Fernandez and Ron Leach. Producer, Bree Westbury. Outreach and Guest Relations Manager, Kendall Crawford. And Podcast Administrator, Sean Offsall. Tune in next time and don't forget to enjoy your journey to the top. 
The statements by speakers in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views or position of the Collin County Association of Realtors, its leadership, or its members. This podcast is not intended to give legal, financial, medical, or other advice, but simply to provide information as a springboard to further discussion and investigation.